0: O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you are our God and our salvation. Amen. This feels like home. (laughs) I can say I preached from this pulpit more than I've preached from any other pulpit in my 30 years of ministry because I was here for 10 years almost, nearly a decade here And it shocked me when I got to thinking this week that I've been gone for a decade, and that really makes me feel old. It doesn't seem like it's been that long, but it has. I came to First Baptist shortly after my 40th birthday. It was maybe my fourth parish, and this church is the one that I think of most as having supported our family through so many milestones, it's hard to even imagine I saw some of the, what you now call the older members of the congregation, come to the church, like Gary. <laughs> and uh, uh, some of the older members of the church, even older members of the church, were much younger back then and had their families with them. So the church has changed. And I think it has been also a joy to come back this summer and see how those changes have happened. Uh, and uh, there will always be wonderful ministry memories that I share with you, Uh, from remodeling to rebuilding, uh, revival and renewal times, launching new and, I'm proud to say, lasting ministries here like The Rock and Family Promise, but I think... I have to say my greatest joy is seeing so many of the young people we mentored and, and grew in the faith being a part of the Church of Jesus Christ here in this place, in this generation. This church has done a wonderful, wonderful job, and I want to commend you for the way that you have passed the baton to the next generation. And I have to confess that's one of my greatest prayers for our country, that our politicians would stop trying to rule well into their 90s and instead be willing to pass uh, the baton to the next generation of author- give them the authority and the power and, and, and the creativity to rule in, and to be a part of the government in the way that this church has allowed its young people to grow up and, and be leaders in the church. That's just a wonderful blessing and to see Jason and Mandy here. Uh, leading this church, uh, surrounded with such supportive partners in the gospel, just makes me want to say over and over again, God is so good. God is so good, and there are great things in store for, for First Baptist. Gives me shivers to think what God's going to do through this body of believers in, the next gen- in this generation. I've witnessed guests in this pulpit this summer addressing the theme of how they're taking the gospel out into the world, ministering outside of the walls of the church building. And it kind of fits that, I kind of fit that bill this morning, because my ministry has changed over the last decade. After 30 years of parish ministry, uh, starting when I was 26 years old, God sent me out into the world when I left this church first to Bozeman Deaconess Hospital and Hospice, and then to the campus of the University of Rhode Island, where Dave and I serve God from the President's house. We live and breathe campus life now, and in particular, college students. They walk around our house on their way to class. They sometimes picnic in our garden. Student groups hang out in the basement of our, our family room, around the pool table and the television, and game, game boards. Uh, we attend all their almost all their sports events and their award banquets. And I have to say I serve as a hostess for more events than I can count every year. I'm also on several nonprofit boards. And it might surprise you that I'm now on the Episcopal Campus Ministry Board, as their congregation is the closest church on campus and doing some really exciting things for our students. I'm also an interfaith campus chaplain among a group of about 10 or 12. We participate in service projects and social justice events, as well as being able to support one another individually and support our students' spiritual needs as well. And you'd be glad to know, the ladies here, that I still lead a Bible study. Uh, It's a little different than the one I led when I was here, and it's uh, ecumenical as well. I do pulpit supply like this, and I just completed my second interim in Rhode Island in June before I came out here for the summer. I'm keeping pretty busy, despite not having a permanent pastoral call. So I stand before you and say God can use you in the world. God will use every one of us in, in the kingdom when we're willing to serve wherever God plops us, wherever we are, because there is kingdom work to be done everywhere in God's world and especially outside the walls of the church. In all these changes in my life, I keep striving to grow spiritually spiritually. And that takes more discipline when you're working outside of the church, when you don't have that natural communal life of a church. So now, you might be surprised to know, I follow the lectionary. I actually started that at at Bozeman Deaconess Hospital, and it has been a spiritual discipline since then. It brings me a rhythm and a connection, I think, to the majority of Christendom, to be studying the same scriptures every week that many Christians around the world are studying. Some of you may remember, I also like to preach from the Old Testament in the summer, just one of my quirky traits. So I was really glad to read the lectionary this week and find out that a favorite text of mine was in the lectionary, Jacob wrestling uh, with his wrestling match uh, in Genesis, chapter 32. Marcus Aurelius, who was a Roman emperor a century after Christ walked on the earth, mused that the art of living is more like wrestling than dancing. The art of living is more like wrestling than dancing. So I want to talk this morning about how we wrestle through life. I can really relate right now to the image of life as a wrestling match because I continue to struggle with questions of faith, of doubt, of life, of death, of call, of commitment, of priorities, of politics and of peace, just to name a few on my long list of wrestling topics. Much of my life on campus is being a resource to those who are in similar struggles, wrestling with life and the changes that come in their lives. One of my favorite authors, Kathleen Norris, wrote, The truth, the whole truth, tends to be complex. Its contentments and joys wrestled out of doubt Pain and change. So, as we wrestle with our own lives, let's look at today's lectionary text and see what it has to offer us. The context of our reading from Genesis is the precarious sibling rivalry that happens between the brothers Jacob and Esau. I'm sure you'll remember this story, that Jacob was the second twin who was born to Isaac and Rebekah, and he was holding tightly to his brother Esau's heel on the way out, struggling for that first position, even from the womb. His parents played favorites a bit, with Esau having all the privileges accorded to the firstborn in that ancient culture, while Jacob was mama's boy. Together, they plotted and schemed until one day Jacob took advantage of his brother's exhaustion and hunger, buying his birthright with a bowl of soup. Then they continued to conspire to cheat Esau out of his blind father's blessing with more food and some goat skin. Dysfunctional family dynamics are nothing new today, are they? They've been with us from generation to generation, and the Bible is full of stories about those dysfunctional family dynamics. Esau was understandably angry, don't you think? And he decided that he was going to kill his brother as soon as his father died. So Rebecca sent her beloved Jacob far away to live with her family under her family's protection, and followed. what followed was a whole lot more family drama involving Rachel and Leah, if you remember, and their maidservants, and eventually there was a whole lot more sibling rivalry that developed. But we'll leave that for another day. Decades passed and since Jacob had fled his brother Esau, and Jacob prospered and now decides to return, still afraid of his brother's wrath. Today's text takes place on the morning uh, It takes place on the eve of Jacob and Esau's reunion. Jacob has sent lavish gifts, but he expects that his past will catch up to him in the morning when he meets his brother Esau. So he takes steps to protect his large family. With the outcome of the upcoming upcoming reunion obviously weighing very heavily on him, he was in for one lonely, sleepless night. And that's where we pick up the text in chapter 32, verse 21. Here it reads, The same night he got up and he took his two wives and his eleven children and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw he did not prevail against Jacob, He struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. The man said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, which means the one who strives with God. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, which means the face of God, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. There is so much here in this story. Jacob is all ready to face his brother, but imagine, imagine the guilt he has, this conviction of the sins that he has committed towards that brother, the, the challenges he has faced in these past decades as a refugee in a foreign land with strange customs, struggling to make a living, separated from his family, afraid for his life, all because of some bad decisions that he had made in his youth. Imagine the responsibility on his shoulders this day, with such a large family to care for, and the emotional pain from the circumstances surrounding the birth of all those children, the deception and the betrayal of his father-in-law, resulting in 14 years' labor to finally get to marry Rachel, the one he loved. Imagine the brokenness they lived with daily because of his dissatisfaction with Leah as a wife. The Bible is full of stories of people wrestling with life in every imaginable way, It makes sense, doesn't it, that Jacob was feeling very alone that night and unable to sleep. He was wrestling with so much that the text is actually confusing. Was it a man who accosted him, or was it an angel, or in the end, was it God? Jacob wrestled with his whole life, I submit, that night, and we can relate to sleepless nights like that, can't we? when our questions and our fears and our doubts and our uncertainty and our guilt come tumbling down upon us and we wrestle with the meaning of our lives our future so tied up in our past determined like jacob to find god's blessing god's hope god's presence god's purpose in our circumstances and like jacob we do bear some scars from the struggle, don't we? My favorite biblical characters are the ones who wrestle with God. They have doubts, they don't keep to themselves. They are not afraid to seek an answer, to ask a hard question, to front, to confront God, to demand a blessing. Jacob's in good company. Remember Moses who argued he didn't speak well enough to prophesy, and he had lots of good reasons not to return to Egypt. Or Thomas, who just couldn't quite believe entirely until he had to put his finger into Christ's scarred hands and sighed. And then there was Philip, who never was afraid to say he didn't know which way to go when Jesus said, I was the way. He said, I don't know. Tell me which way to go. And the Canaanite woman, who challenged Jesus by comparing herself to the dog under the table waiting for the crumbs... And then there's that woman at the well who just keeps asking her questions, ignoring all social protocol, until she is so transformed by Jesus' answers that she converts her whole village. And the powerful religious leader, Nicodemus, who had so much to lose that he brings his questions for Jesus under the cover of night, but is so empowered that later... He risks it all to come to Christ's defense. I could go on and on. The list is long because the Bible is full of what I see as honest people who aren't afraid to express their doubts, to confess their failures, and to get the answers they need in order to believe and to go on and be blessed. They're all worthy role models as we seek our own answers and we wrestle with whatever is going on in our own lives today. You know, my favorite poet is Emily Dickinson, so you couldn't get through a sermon without a poem. And you know, I told you last year when I preached that she just liked to summarize Bible stories a lot in her poems. And wouldn't you know she has one just about this story about Jacob wrestling? It goes like this. A little east of Jordan, evangelists record a gymnast and an angel did wrestle long and hard, till morning, touching mountain, and Jacob, waxing strong, the angel begged permission to breakfast to return. Not so, said cunning Jacob, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me, stranger. The witch acceded to, light swung the silver fleeces, Peniel hills beyond, and the bewildered gymnast found he had worsted God. We don't use the word worsted very much in this century, or the last one for that matter, except when we're talking about yarn. But I believe her relationship with God allowed Emily to take a little jab here at the end of this poem, pointing out that Jacob won when he came face-to-face with God. Jacob got the blessing. He overcame his doubts, and he faced his brother The next day with confidence. I think God loves it when God's whole creation is this creative and curious and sometimes controversial. In his paper discussing this poem, Richard S. Ellis writes this of Emily Dickinson In her work, the human divine relationship is articulated not as a fixed body of dogma, but as a verb, a field of force a gymnast somersaulting that never rests. Like the unknown adversary encountered by Jacob at Peniel, God can be encountered at any moment and in any place in an epiphany of awareness that reveals the divine face. The dynamics of the human divine encounter become Dickinson's sole focus. Until Jacob's time... Almost all relationships between the God of Genesis and humans, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah and his society, Abraham and Isaac, all emphasize the authoritative aspect. God usually commands people obey or are punished. At both panels, that of Genesis and that of Dickinson, a transformation occurs. God's traditional relationship with humans along the vertical axis of authority and hierarchy is multidimensional to encompass a dynamism and an intimacy along a horizontal axis of mutual interdependence of dance and struggle and play, end quote. Powerful. That we are witnessing in these ancient writings a change in God's relationship to his people. That we are progressing to a point where God can have that intimate relationship, that wrestling match with us over the questions of life. This biblical ancient account clearly concludes, no matter what else you can say about it, that it's okay to wrestle with God about your faith, about forgiveness, about your intellectual questions, your doubts, about anything. This is the kind of relationship God longs to have with God's creation, a relationship in which we feel free in God's love to bring our deepest doubts and questions, our struggles, and our guilt to the Lord of our lives. Jacob had no idea what to expect from Esau that next morning. But deep down, you know Jacob knows what he deserves. He stole God's blessing through rebellion and sin. Had God abandoned him because of his past? Would God protect him now? Did God still love him? He so wanted an authentic blessing from God. Was that even a possibility now? What would the future hold for him and his family at Esau's hands? Is reconciliation even a possibility for these two brothers? He had a lot to wrestle with that night, but look at the result. In that wrestling, Jacob saw God face to face and survived, more than survived. He walked away with a blessing and a promise, a new name, and a new future, a future filled with hope. He also awoke with a limp. Don't overlook that. It happens when you wrestle with God. But in the morning, his relationship was restored, first with God, who had never abandoned him, and then with the brother, whom he longed for reconciliation. Genesis 33 continues, Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids, and he put the maids with their children in front, and then Leah and her children, and then Rachel and Joseph last of all. And then he himself went on ahead of them all, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. The reunion between Jacob and Esau just brings thoughts immediately of the prodigal son meeting his father. Reconciled together, grace flowing, love so apparent. As Jason mentioned last week, this movie adaptation of the New York Times bestseller uh, novel The Shack by Neil Young is out on video and I know Gary and Jason used it at Temple Hills for senior high camp. It comes to mind again like today's text that novels premise is that it's God's desire and very purpose in creation was establishing and maintaining a vital and active relationship with us and between us that reflects the dynamic relationship within the Trinity The author presents God in that book as a verb, and the novel itself is really one long wrestling match, concluding that God desires to engage us in dialogue about the things that trouble us most, and God will provide answers. It's okay to wrestle with God. God wants your doubts and your disappointments, your emotions and your intellect, your needs and your brokenness. God wants to wrestle through all these things so that you can receive the purest, most excellent blessing possible in your life, an intimate, caring, real relationship with your Creator. That's what God wants for each of us, for everyone ever born. And we know from our human experience that honesty is essential to any strong relationship, so why would you give God any less? This text promises that God answers when we seek, that God is committed to us through every struggle, and that God will bless, and I believe God enjoys, this whole encounter with us. Mandy, you might want to go get the kids (laughs) for communion. In closing, I just want to draw one more conclusion for us this morning. A little bit of a stretch, but it comes mainly from the New Testament lectionary passage in Romans 9, where Paul struggles for three chapters trying to understand how the Israelites are going to fit into God's new plan in Christ Jesus. It reminded me that we also struggle for others, don't we? Some of the wrestling we do spiritually with God is not for ourselves It's for those that God brings into our paths. My ministry on the campus of the University of Rhode Island is often struggling with others who are wrestling with the questions about God, with the disappointments in God, with the misunderstandings from their childhood. Some of the wrestling we do spiritually is not for ourselves but for our family and for our friends who are struggling with their own issues sometimes issues of faith and doubt, sometimes issues of guilt and brokenness and of of disappointment. It is one of the most important ways that we are called as ministers of the gospel to minister in the world is to help others who are wrestling with life, help them find God's blessing in the midst of their own turmoil. As I close, I just want to remind us as we go to this table this morning that God understands and engages us when we wrestle with him. With, whether it's intellectual or personal issues, God will bless that process of question questioning and promises to answer all those who seek him. And God seeks the lost as we struggle with them, for them, engaging their doubts and their questions, encouraging the same honesty in our relationships that God desires with us. And in this wrestling, we discover hope because of the great love that God has for us and the great mercy that he has poured out upon us through his son, Jesus Christ. Seems like I should end with a blessing this morning because that's what this is all about. So receive this Franciscan blessing from me, a little different this morning. May God bless us with discomfort at easy answers, at half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that we may live from deep within our hearts. May God bless us with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of God's creation, so that we may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless us with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that we may reach out our hands to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy. And may God bless us with just enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in this world so that we can do what others claim we cannot do by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us through the risen Christ. We say amen and amen. Let it be so. Thank you. Well, appropriate to talk about wrestling.